America's top general says the US response to Russian election interference isn't as well coordinated as it needs to be. And Pennsylvania sues Uber for failing to notify victims of its data breach in a timely manner. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Russia, like many other nations, continues to invest in capabilities that would allow it to win conflicts before a shot has even been fired. That was one warning issued by Army General Curtis Scaparotti, the head of U.S. European Command, during a Thursday Senate Armed Services Committee hearing. Cue this question from Democratic Senator Jack Reed of Rhode Island to the general. Getting into the asymmetric warfare, one of the most disturbing aspects recently is the integration of information warfare and cyber operations. And uh, as you pointed out, uh, cyber has no real limits. So uh, again, we've seen quite extensive activity in Ukraine. But have you noticed that this, you know, similar organizations in Russia are concentrated not just on Ukraine, but also the United States? Are you beginning to pick up indications of efforts that are directed against us you know, directly? Chairman, I'll say that, that, that I have. Uh, there, I've seen activity uh, related to, um, you know, infrastructure, um, reconnaissance, et cetera, within the United States, and I'll leave it at that. Scaparotti says U.S. agencies are attempting to map out all of the government as well as private sector firms and networks the Kremlin might be using for its information warfare and cyber activities. That prompted Senator Reid to ask the general if the current U.S. government response could be improved on. How would you assess our whole of government response? You, you have Cybercom and within the duty of chain of command, et cetera, but the intelligence community, the Treasury Department, Homeland Security, are, do you feel there's a unified effort among all these different agencies and the State Department to, to effectively confront this threat? Uh, I don't believe there's an effective unification across the interagency with the energy and the focus that we could attain. Also, is the U.S. learning lessons from how Russia attempts to interfere in other countries' elections? That question was posed by Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. Have we learned any lessons from Russian interference with European elections that would enable us to counter what they are continuing to do, to do in our country? I think we've learned from each other. I would put it that way. We helped uh, French and France and Germany as they approached their elections based on what occurred here. And as they've gone through, we've exchanged that information. And so as a result, we've got a better idea of uh, the Russians' approach, um, the capabilities that they use and how they use it. Uh, and that's all uh, improving our ability to you know, defend uh, the sanctity and the sovereignty of our election systems. More than a year after the U.S. intelligence community issued an assessment saying that it believed that Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered a campaign to meddle in the 2016 U.S. presidential elections, the current administration, led by Donald Trump, has yet to make substantive moves to address that interference. In recent congressional testimony, U.S. national security leaders have warned that Russian interference has not diminished and that the U.S. is not doing enough to combat it. Here is Mike Rogers, director of the NSA and head of U.S. Cyber Command, recently testifying before the Senate. I believe that President Putin has clearly come to the conclusion there's little price to play here, and that therefore I can continue this activity. On Tuesday, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin told lawmakers that he expects to announce sanctions on Russia in the next several weeks. 
Commentators say the targets of those sanctions might include individuals and organizations recently indicted for U.S. election interference by the ongoing investigation being conducted by special counsel Robert Mueller. One likely target would be the Kremlin-linked Russian troll factory called the Internet Research Agency, according to CNN. Asked why it's not doing more to counter Russian election interference, the White House has claimed that the Trump administration has been tough. But is the response that we're finally starting to see too little too late. Operational security experts say that the best way to counteract propaganda is to either outmaneuver it or have prevented it altogether. Now, however, the U.S. midterm elections are only seven months away. Already, there are signs of continuing attempts to meddle with U.S. society. After last month's shooting in Parkland, Florida, firms that track online disinformation campaigns warned that suspected Russian bots had quickly begun debating the shootings on social media, further seeking to polarize American society. It's not clear how the U.S. can best combat these types of interference. But what is clear is that whatever it's doing, it's not enough. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Next up, ISMG's Jeremy Kirk reports on how Pennsylvania has responded to Uber, covering up its massive data breach for more than a year. On Monday, Pennsylvania filed a lawsuit against Uber for allegedly violating the state's mandatory breach notification law. It's the latest in a long string of legal and regulatory actions Uber is facing from a sensitive data breach the company waited more than a year to disclose. The state's law requires companies to notify those affected within a reasonable amount of time. It's the first time Pennsylvania is sued under the statute. The lawsuit also alleges Uber violated the state's unfair trade practices and consumer protection law. At least 13,500 Uber drivers in Pennsylvania were affected. The state could seek $1,000 for each violation, meaning Uber could face a maximum civil penalty of up to 13 $15.5 million. Uber disclosed last November that hackers accessed 57 million records of its riders and drivers worldwide around October 2016. The hackers accessed a backup file stored on Amazon's S3 storage service. The credentials for the storage bucket had been left on GitHub. Despite the seriousness of the breach, the company kept it under wraps for more than a year. It was later revealed that Uber paid two men around $100,000 under its bug bounty program. Payment was initially positioned as a bug bounty, but the men actually made extortion-like demands. Pennsylvania's Attorney General Josh Shapiro characterized Uber's handling of the incident as outrageous corporate conduct. In a statement, Uber's Chief Legal Officer Tony West says the state's lawsuit came as a surprise. West, who's been with Uber for about three months, says he personally reached out to Shapiro several weeks ago. West called for Uber to be dealt with fairly and that any penalties reasonably fit the facts. Other than Pennsylvania, state attorneys general in Illinois, Connecticut, New York, and Massachusetts have probes underway. 48 states have mandatory breach notification laws, but there's no federal one. Regulators in the United Kingdom, Australia, and the Philippines are also investigating. Uber's in a tough position since company executives have admitted their tact in handling the breach was wrong. Uber paid the money after receiving assurances from the two individuals that the data would be destroyed. Hopefully. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Last month, 13 individuals, including a close friend of Russian President Vladimir Putin, were indicted by a U.S. federal grand jury on charges of meddling in the 2016 U.S. elections. Three organizations were also charged, including the St. Petersburg-based Internet Research Agency, 
Allegedly, it's a Kremlin-backed, industrialized troll factory that sought to sway U.S. public opinion via social media accounts. It's allegedly bankrolled by a Russian oligarch who's a close friend of Putin and one of the 13 individuals named in the indictment. The question of whether these suspects might ever be extradited to the U.S. to face these charges was posed to U.S. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein during the February 16th press conference at which he announced the unsealed indictment. Here's what Rosenstein said. No uh, communication with the Russians about this will follow the ordinary process uh, of seeking cooperation and extradition. Historically speaking, however, Russia has never extradited a citizen accused of computer crimes, and it doesn't appear poised to start soon. NBC reporter Megyn Kelly recently asked Putin what he could tell her about the organizations and individuals, including one of his close friends, named in the U.S. indictment. Here's Putin's response, courtesy of the NBC interview which aired on Sunday. I know that they do not represent the Russian state, the Russian authorities. What they did specifically, I have no idea. I do not know what they were guided by. Even if they did do something, it's simply our, maybe it's just our American colleagues. Let them just not talk to the press. Let them provide some materials, specifics, and data. We'll be prepared to look at them and talk about it. Kelly asked Putin if, after Moscow reviewed the charges against the 13 Russian nationals, they might be extradited to stand trial in the United States. Never. Never. Russia does not extradite its citizens to anyone, just like the United States. Does the United States extradite its citizens to anyone? Of course, the U.S. also has other options, says cybersecurity attorney Mark Rash, who previously worked as a computer crime prosecutor for the U.S. Department of Justice. There are other ways to do it without extradition. You can trick them to come into the United States, you can trick them to come into a third country, and you can do what's called informal extradition because kidnapping is such an ugly word. On the Supreme Court, in a case called the United States versus Alvarez Machine, where we did what was called push-me-pull-you extradition, you know what push-me-pull-you extradition is? You take the guy that you want to extradite, the foreign government stands on one side of the border and pushes, and you stand on the other side of the border and catch. Actually, this was worse. We actually sent a team of DEA agents to go over and kidnap the guy, put him in the trunk of a car, drive him to San Diego, and said, voila, look, look what we found. The Supreme Court in that case said the extradition treaty is just one way to get a prisoner from one country to another. Nothing says it's the only way to do it. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.